unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And after a bye week, I'm back in the saddle again. Coming up on this week's show, bringing my baseball guys into the house and my former radio colleagues, Joe Finger, Jay Cresswell. We will talk baseball. Might slide a little other sports stuff in there. And they'll also help me with our closing TV theme, or we should say themes today. That's coming up as Jay and Joe stand by in the virtual green room and will be with us momentarily. And, of course, I mentioned a bye week, and uh, that only makes me think about the release of the National Football League schedule. And, yes, we now know who's playing who. And for the full, and I need to do math because we have a 17-game schedule starting this year, all 272 games, I will predict them starting now. No, no, I'm not, not going to do that. <laughs> you know, all these uh, uh, sports talk shows, are, you know, especially those based in NFL cities, they're going through this little, well, week one against the Titans, that's going to be a loss. And week two against the Ravens, I think they're going to win, bounce back, win that game. Whew. But the NFL, in their genius, gets people talking about their sport. They've made that schedule release a nice nugget in the scheme of things. And uh, there you go. It... Uh, has me mentioning it as well. And uh, now they're like getting out little streamers to the morning shows of the networks that carry their games. And uh, all those networks are happy. You know, they've got all these new long-term deals now. They're spending lots of money. The NFL gives them fantastic product. That's why they're playing 17 games. They need more product to get more money in. Not about player safety. But you, you knew that, didn't you? But uh, anytime we can talk about football, it's a beautiful thing. And football will be here before you know it. All right, we're a little over a month into the 2021 Major League Baseball season. So it's time now to ring in my guys. As we will do periodically throughout the course of the season. Joe Finger, Jay Cresswell, my former radio colleagues, longtime friends. And baseball analyst for the JA podcast, Jay and Joe. Thanks again for being on the show. Thanks, Jeff. And always a pleasure to talk with you two guys for sure. Yeah. So let's get to the bad news first. Uh, let's get a, a, a report on each of our teams. Uh, Jay, we'll start with you. Uh, well, I, this is not un, uh, unanticipated, but the Pirates. I'm wearing my pirate shirt. Um, are in last place in the National League Central, which is where they were projected to be. Uh, about a week and a half ago, they were a game over 500, and then reality set in. Um, but you know what? For all the complaining I may do or that I like to do, they did what they needed to do. They tore it down to the studs, and they're going to start by getting young talent and starting at the lowest levels and building up from there and then hope they can pull a miracle, you know, the way the Rays do or the Twins do. Not not this year, Joe, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, what are you talking about, Jay? <laughs> um, but you know what? In fact, I've got the game on over here right now, and uh, they're playing well tonight, and we'll see how long that lasts. I have no expectations. I'm happy they're only two games behind the Cubs. 
Yeah, and it's been kind of up and down because they started off dead cold, then they got hot, and yep. uh, and as you said, they got near the top, and then the the wheels came off again. So, which is to be expected. You know, consistency for a young team is hard to attain. Yeah, not only that, you know, they're young, and now they've got a bunch of injuries. Uh, at one point, they had one outfielder on the on the roster. So they had to start bringing guys up and they're guys I've never heard of in my life. And that's okay. We'll see who sticks. And uh, tell me about the manager. I love Derek Shelton. He's been part of winning franchises in the past and and winning culture, I might add. Again, I'm going to quote the twins here. And uh, in other great organizations, uh, I think he has the right attitude. I think last year being as strange as it was, uh, he just sat back and watched and saw what they had. And then they made a lot, all those big moves in the offseason, thankfully, by getting rid of the team president and the general manager and the director of scouting and all those guys. It needed to happen. And so uh, now Derek knows the, you know, the, the direction the club is headed and the way they hope to go about it. And I think he's the right guy for the job. All right. Sounds good. And, uh, Joe, let's turn to uh, the aforementioned Twins. Uh, what's going on with the Twins this year? Yeah, I wish I knew. I know Jay said the Pirates are kind of where maybe people thought they would end up, but the Twins, although they are in the cellar, are hardly where many people thought they would be. They were, again, this year considered certainly one of the contenders for the Central Division in the American League, but as of this moment, they have the worst record in Major League Baseball. They are now behind the Detroit Tigers in the AL Central And, you know, it's just a matter of time before the fans up there start saying enough of Rocco Baldelli and analytics. Let's let's go back and and take another look at what's going on. I think it's been a combination of things with the twins, uh, the relief pitching, uh, the bullpen has been horrible. The starters have been inconsistent. They've not hit well with runners in scoring position. And I think we're seeing that with the um, baseball not flying out like it was two seasons ago when the Bomba squad made headlines, uh, they're still striking out a lot, but they're not hitting uh, the home run. So they're not, in fact, in spring training this year, I was a little bit worried. They, they just seem lethargic thin. They got off to a fairly good start the first week, but since then it's been one thing after another, uh, not you know, doing anything to put it all together. When they score runs, they give up a ton. When they get decent pitching, they only score one or two, and they're 0-6 in extra innings. So it's it's been a cavalcade of uh, misery in the Twin Cities so far, and, and there shows no signs of letting up at this point. Yeah, so, you know, if things continue as they are, do they make a managerial change this year? Or do they ride it out? I think they're, you know, they're going to ride this out for a while, uh, I, I think. Uh, the management, you know, Baldelli was the chosen one when he came in to replace Paul Molitor. Now the fan base isn't going to like it. I think Rocco... You know, he's, very, he's a nice guy. He's certainly knowledgeable and uh, has had success the past two seasons. Uh, but, you know, that's fine to be kind of mild-mannered and laid back when you're winning. But when you're in the cellar and taking a nosedive, now the fans are saying, we want somebody with a little fire. Well, this team seems to have no spark uh, at all. And they're, they're very – you know, the Twins, one of the latter teams, I think, to really fully embrace analytics – and when the new leadership came in several years ago, they brought in some guys who had a great background with statistics. They really added to their front office staff with guys who 
probably have degrees from MIT and such. Um, but this year, it doesn't seem to be working uh, that well. Analytics or not, uh, the team they put on the field this year was expected to do much better and uh, has not. So they are an interesting case study right now. Uh, ironically, Byron Buxton is, was having a, a career season. Uh, he seems to have finally put it all together. He's on the uh, out with an injury right now. But if you take his contributions out of the mix, who knows how low their record would be at this point. Sad to say. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you bring up interesting uh, thought about, you know, analytics and uh, lots of interesting things that are out there. And I think one of the biggest uh, things, and I know we've talked about it on, on this show before, but it's the lack of putting the ball in play. Yep. <laughs> of epic proportions. Um, you know, do you see a point where, you know, they start to trend away from launch angles and, and, and these types of things, you know, baseball traditionally has been a little cyclical, easy for me to say. Um, Is there that opportunity? Well, if there is a God, there is. Uh, (laughs) Well, I think there is. (laughs) Yes. If, if we'll notice the first place Oakland A's Billy ball, I mean, they're not necessarily Billy Ball now like they were before, but it's all about on-base percentage and put the ball in play. And frankly, that is the goal of the Pirates. Since they have no power in Colin Moran's hurt, their only home run hitter, uh, they have to manufacture runs. They can't strike out all the time. They have to put the ball in play. They have to steal bases. They have to go from first to third on singles. And I think what you're going to see, especially with the – the financial uh, disparity between the large clubs and the smaller clubs is the smaller clubs are going to have to play that kind of ball. And I hope that brings it back to the forefront. Joe? Well, Jeff, you, you know, you mentioned the bit of balls in play. I, I always rev up for your show by digging into the statistics. It gives me a chance. <laughs> Just to like I knew you would. <laughs> so, funny you would ask about that because I, I found some stats for how um, uh, balls in play is looking so far through the first uh, almost two months of the season and so far this season balls in play 62.2 percent which is down almost a percentage point from last year and the BIP has declined every year since 2011 and this year appears to be no different than that. Uh, The strikeout rate has gone up every season since 2011 to where now Batters are striking out almost 25% of the time, 24.5%, which is a little over a percentage point above last season's rate, just comparing uh, March and April, comparing the same two months within the season. That's a 32% increase in the strikeout rate since 2011. And the Twins may be an interesting case study here because they didn't have a very good dip necessarily two years ago because they hit so many home runs. I think the ball is a little bit different now. I think that was, that was changed, and the, the balls aren't flying out as much, and so the Twins are still striking out, but especially those seventh, eighth, and ninth place guys who are sending the ball over the fence two years ago, you're not seeing as much of that, and a, a team like the Twins are struggling. And I think to Jay's point, maybe uh, we ought to take a look at maybe more contact hitting and other ways to generate, generate productivity. Um, but part of that, part of that will depend on, I think, the pitching. You know, pitching uh, has, has 
you can't talk about batters without looking at it in context of what the pitchers are doing. And the average velocity continues to go up uh, on the pitching end of this. I found some stats on that as well. So that now the average major league fastball so far this season, the first two months, is 93.3 miles per hour. And that's marginally higher than last year. And it has gone up slowly but steadily almost every season since 2011. Even the velocity on curveballs is up uh, about three miles per hour in the past decade. And what people who know a lot more than I do will tell you is that there's a great correlation statistically between velocity and swing and a miss. The harder they throw, the more they swing and miss, which means more strikeouts. And that's the Minnesota Twins in a nutshell if you look at their stats. And it also means more (laughs) no-hitters. (laughs) <laughs> How many have we had? I know we had two in one week, didn't we? Or oh, we, had, we have four and seven ninths this year. Yes, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and, and that seven ninths uh, took place against my Braves, who got one hit in a doubleheader. <laughs> I, I actually read um, some article this week. So, you know, they were talking about the no-hitters, but they said another interesting stat is the number of games in which both teams combine for six or fewer hits and 30 or more strikeouts. Oh. <laughs> a single game. We've oh. seen a few of those this year, which, uh, you know, tells you something. Yeah, yeah, it really does. And you wonder why there's some waning interest. So what do you think about the, the I guess, the tests they're going to do in the Independent League, Abu and the mound back? Is it almost a foot, I think? Uh, uh, think that will have any any impact? Well, I hadn't heard about that one. I, I, I saw some other changes, but, yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of things that, I think that they are experimenting with um, things like uh, that. I think that certainly would. You start yeah. changing the, the physics of the game when you, you know, when you do something like that. And, and so it's interesting that those kinds of things are kind of in play or on the radar right now. And, you know, we, you, you first start throwing at 60 feet, six inches at age 15. Okay. They're going to have to start there. Because otherwise you're going to have these guys bouncing curveballs and, you know, hitting people. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying this because I'm a traditionalist, but sure. it will have a drastic effect on, uh, on the game and those, and those people. And guess what? You don't have to swing really hard. Just make contact. <laughs> yes, I, I, I see George Brett smiling somewhere when you say yes. That. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and, and that's one of those things too because you know we've talked ad nauseum about the shift, and you still see such a reluctance from guys trying not to go the other way. Yeah, that makes me insane. I'm sorry, and it's not because I don't want them. I don't want them to ban the shift. Okay, that's just me. Because if you're a major league hitter and you can't hit the ball the other way, what is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's just my opinion. What yeah. was that game, game the other night? Uh, I think I, sh- I forget which game it was. Uh, somebody went the other way on a shift and the ball floated into left field and the guy ended up on third base by the yeah. time. I think it was the Red Sox game, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Because guess what? Because of the shift, no one remembered to cover third base. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Which, by the way, it was the pitcher's job. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, it is also, it's, you know, of course, the pitcher's probably frustrated because, you know, you know when, when they see a guy hit a ball – where the shortstop would have been normally. Yep. You know, and they're like, oh, come on, really? Yep. <laughs> so it is crazy about that. So wanted to get your guys' thoughts on 
Shohei Otani. I mean, this guy is doing things that, you know, they now mention, okay, he's the first and only got to do this since Babe Ruth. And that's like the list. <laughs> um, you know, besides being, you know, outstanding on the mound, you know, he's, he, he's hitting the ball there. He's been using him in the field. Uh, Jay, let's use your thoughts on him first. Well, first of all, any guy who can go in and pitch six or seven innings and then they put him in the field because as bad as that good, we are talking Babe Ruth here. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just think he's phenomenal. I hope he keeps avoiding injury. But here's the other thing about him. Much like his teammate, Mike Trout, none of us ever see him. You know, it's the West Coast thing. It's the Angels. It's all those games that nobody sees until you watch Quick Pitch with Heidi Watney, you know, late at night or early the next morning. Nobody knows about Shohei Ontani, and I think that's, that's a sad thing. Yeah, I would agree with that, Joe. 26 years old. I was looking at, you know, what the, the future for this guy is. And I don't know how long he can keep doing it. I, I just actually just glanced at an article about him today and it, and it was saying, you know, he had struggled last year, but he's right back this year doing, doing what I thought I would never see. I mean, yep. I don't know, what, what would a comparable um, uh, NFL player have to do? I play both ways, I guess, offense, yeah. defense. I don't even know what to can, you know, really to compare it to. Um, but I often is wonder. He like, is he like yeah. Deion Sanders in that respect? Yeah, I guess <laughs> something. I remember when I was a little kid before I didn't know very much. I often wondered why you didn't have guys who who could pitch and hit. I mean, you know, I mean, we saw it in Little League. I thought the Little League team, you know, we were, yeah. you know, your pitcher is your best hitter. And then that yeah. just kind of dissipates. Uh, you never saw it in Major League Baseball. But here's after all these years, here it is. Yeah, you know, it, it is quite remarkable. And then, and then you think about that, uh, that fact, I think what he's, uh, he's been able to pitch and, and be his own DH, if you will. Yeah. I guess, well, they're, I guess they're saying like the last guy who did that, like on a regular basis, what was it? Ken Brett, I think maybe. Uh, Ken Brett had a great bat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so it is, it is interesting to see that happening. And then you, you know, there's, there's talk about the universal DH coming and, you know, cause as most pitchers, what, 99% of them, it's just got off to watch them at the plate. Yes. And some aren't even trying just because they don't want to uh, waste the energy. Uh, but it's very, it, it just fascinates me that, that, that this can be done. And I would like to see more of it, frankly. Agreed. And, and maybe it will be more guys that come from Asia who do that, who play both and, yeah. and aren't, you know, uh, told you need to concentrate only on your pitching because that's where it's at and that's where the money's at and get some of these guys who are athletes. I'll bet Mike Trout could be a pitcher. Um, maybe, I don't know if he ever was, but you know, you look at these pure athletes, the Bo Jackson types, those guys could do anything. And I just wish we would see more of that. Well, you know, I was watching the game that, uh, um, that the Cubs gave up against the Braves and Anthony Rizzo pitched. Freddie yeah. Freeman hasn't been the same since striking out to him, by the way. <laughs> he laughed, too, afterwards. <laughs> yes, he did. And I think he went into a, a, a long spiral after, after oh, that. Depression. Depression. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, in fact, you know, we didn't uh, talk about my Braves who were also languishing. Uh, I was bring that up. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, you know, a game away from the World Series, and now it's still early yet, and they're only four games out. One, I'm glad they're not going to play the Blue Jays anymore because they just totally owned us uh, the, the two times we've played them. Uh, but Huascar Yanoa 
has come out of nowhere to yeah. uh, to save that staff. And his bat has been big. He uh, consecutive games with home runs, including a grand slam. And his swing on that grand slam looked like any of the other Braves boppers in the lineup. <laughs> Absolutely, that was impressive. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So maybe you maybe there'll be a last ditch stand for you know pitchers coming along to save the uh, DH from infiltrating the National League. Although I doubt. I want to I want to put a quick plug in for the late great uh, uh, Jim Mudcat Grant, who hit a oh, three yeah. run homer in Game Six of the 1965 World Series yep. to force a decisive seventh game which, of course, the Twins lost because Koufax pitched. But uh, Grant pretty much did everything in that game. And uh, I often wondered, why, why can't we see more of that? So I know. I'm all for it. Agreed. Yeah, so we're, like, we're near on like the quarter pole of the season. Anything that you see that has shocked you or surprised you? I will, I'll jump in here. The San Francisco Giants leading the NL West is, is one thing. Um, Again, it's one of those, you know, we're East Coast bias, and so we don't follow them. We don't see them often. You don't even know if they win or lose till the next morning. Um, but just to see how consistent they've been. And you know what? They've been making contact <laughs> and getting pitching. I mean, and some, some of these recycled pitchers, too. You know, Cueto is pitching well. Um, Kevin Gosman, who did nothing for yes. the Braves. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think for me, and I, I was like, Joe, I was studying up before we got online here and the giants, I figure are my biggest surprise right now, as far as a team that's doing better than we anticipated. And on the other end of the spectrum, uh, teams that are doing a lot worse than expected. Well, Minnesota uh, probably comes to mind. Um, the Red Sox appear to be back. I'm kind of surprised after that's the surprising. season last year that they're doing as well as they, they are. Uh, although the Yankees are closing in on them now. So I don't know long-term what's going to happen, but that's um, been a bit of a surprise. And I agree with you, Jay. I think, you know, I thought the Dodgers were going to run away with the, the West, okay. but uh, here are the, here are the giants, uh, which, you know, again, makes, makes baseball the game that it is. I mean, it's Agreed. not something you can, um, you know, reduce down to just a set of statistics. There's always that wild card in there. Yeah. Have we seen Go ahead, Jeff. I'm sorry. I was going to say, you look at a division, too. You know, the Padres are an outstanding club. Good division, yeah. The, you know, the Diamondbacks are a really good team, too, even though they're under 500 right now. But I think they'll still be heard from before it's all said and done. Have we seen that the, the Mets are two games ahead of the Phillies, but the Phillies have seven games in hand? No, wait, the Mets have seven games in hand. Yes, yes. No pressure. No, no, no pressure at all. Um so yeah, so the I think the 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 thing that has surprised me in not so much a team but a player, and that's uh, Pablo Sandoval with the Braves, yeah. um, the pinch hit specialist. You know he's hit four pinch hit home runs, each one of them has either tied or put them in the lead in the late innings, and the Braves' record for a season is five pinch hit home runs. So he's got time to break it. Uh, and he looks obviously like a good fit with that clubhouse as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, so to me, that's a, that's a great pickup. And, and, you know, too bad they don't have the DH for, for, yes. for, for that purpose, uh, for yeah. sure. So based on what you've seen so far, you know, besides what the surprises are, any other trends or other things of interest I want to so put something out there. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I look at what other people are saying, you know, the people who, who follow this as their full-time job. Um, 
And this gets back to pitching and the fact that pitchers rarely throw a complete game uh, these days. That's, that's nothing new. The um, stats I came up with is the average starting pitcher threw 95 pitches per start from 2001 to 15. That has now dropped down to just about 88 wow. pitches per start. And the idea that you leave your starter in to face the lineup a third time around is, is pretty rare, you know, unless you're just one of the dominant pitchers. So if, you know, the Twins were a good example of this. Baldelli usually, you know, guy cruising along six innings, okay, bring the bullpen in. And the thought is that pitchers know that, that the culture has shifted in that direction. Maybe guys are being brought up that way now. So they go out and they just bring the heater full blast, full throttle for six innings. They leave it all on the field knowing that, you, you know, if you're a decent team, you're going to be able to bring in guys from the pen who are going to come in and light it up in the mid-90s. And so the so batters are facing guys throwing heat just – um, throughout the course of a ball game, whereas back in the day, perhaps pitchers who were expected to go a little bit longer had to maybe hold off on showing every pitch they had in the early innings, save a little something for the end, kind of, kind of position themselves to, you know, go through the various ebbs and flow of the game for a longer period of time, and that's no longer no longer the case. And the idea is that maybe we limit, how's this for a proposal? Limit the number of pitchers a team can carry Agreed. on the, uh, on the roster. I mean, at, at one point this year, I think the twins had 13 pitchers, you know, a bullpen of eight or nine. I mean, that's I think that's just ridiculous. Um, and it could change the, the dyna dynamic of the game. If we, you know, if we did that, force them to go longer than what Irons we're doing came now. North with 14. Um, and, you know, Joe's talking about the good old days, which I miss too. And basically we're talking about the nineties Braves. Okay. Not only did those guys know how to pitch as opposed to throw, but when they weren't throwing, they threw on their off days and didn't rest their precious little arms and it built up their arms. And if we call Greg Maddox, you know, Cubs or Braves, when he was in a tough situation, what did he do? He threw slower, not harder, and he put the ball where he wanted it so he could make the hit or hit the ball where they wanted it to go. So maybe uh, – I like your idea, Joe. I, I would – I would, remember when teams had 10 pitchers? Yeah. That was 13 and 14. When I, when I started watching the Twins way back, it was nine and occasionally yes. 10. 10 was like, oh, my gosh. Yes. You know, they got an extra pitcher. <laughs> so. Yeah, and then, and then, you, then you think of a guy like Jacob deGrom, who probably is a flashback to the old school mentality. Yes. And, you know, he only gives up one run, but he still loses. He loses. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let, let me make a, a connect, an interesting connection because, you know, we're talking about, you know, pitchers and, and what's going on there. But a, a broader issue we've discussed before is the pace of the game and the time of the game. Yes. And, you know, various rule changes have been discussed. Some have been implemented to try to speed the game up. Well, somebody – I read an interesting article today that, that says you've really got to distinguish between the issue of pace of play 
and time of game. Well, the pace of play has slowed down. That's the deal, yeah. Uh, because of all of the strikeouts and home runs and guys throwing 95 miles an hour all the time, and that gets back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show where we talked about balls in play. That percentage has been going down. So all of those kinds of things slow the pace of the game down which ultimately obviously contributes to a longer game time. Yeah. And so baseball responds to the underlying disease, if you will, by treating the symptom. And they come up with the rule that says you want to put a runner on second base to start an extra inning game, yep. which is to try to just be over with it. Well, we wouldn't have that problem if the pace of the game weren't where it is today. Exactly. And, you know, what's funny is, well, why, you know, why are younger fans not watching baseball? Because it's not exciting enough. Well, let's make it exciting. And everything they do to make it exciting slows the pace of play. So you nailed it. They're treating the symptoms, not the problem. Yeah. And I don't know what the, I don't know what the solution to that is, but I, when somebody suggested let's limit teams to eight pitchers, <laughs> I thought, well, that would certainly shake things up. Now, there's not a chance and you know what, that that's going to be approved, but it, it certainly uh, raises an interesting point of discussion, if nothing else. Well, and if anything, that has also kind of uh, forced teams, to, you know, you know, back when we were growing up, teams had the everyday eight. Yeah, uh, and now that's kind of back in vogue again because there's no there, there's three guys on the bench. It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly so, right. Yeah, so it is it is quite crazy. So um, interesting stat I heard actually today. Uh, uh, I was working from home on my day on my day job today, and the Braves had a new game, and and one of the uh, things they were talking about is the injuries in baseball, and there's like a remarkable percentage increase in the number of soft tissue injuries, talking hamstrings, quads, calves, that it's up like, I, I, I want to say like over 20%. It's uh groins. Yeah. Don't forget that. No, you can't ever forget that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, but you think about that and it, it, it's just intriguing. Is it because of all the, all the, the uppercut swings, all the weightlifting they do. It's, it, it, it's just kind of weird how that particular injury or sets of injuries, if you will, has, has skyrocketed. That's a, I have no idea, Jeff. Is there, a, is there a good hypothesis out there? I'm intrigued. You know, I kind of go back to, you know, to me, you would think they would do enough stretching. It's not like they don't have time to do that. Yes. <laughs> you That's can even stretch job. You can stretch between pitches, for God's sakes, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, it, it's 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 just kind of hard to, to put, paint a picture on. Right now, I know for a while there, there was a lot more of the uh, the rib cage muscle injuries because I, I think weightlifting got a lot to do with that. Yeah, absolutely. And before that, uh, the say 20 years ago, all the soft tissue injuries had to do with guys on steroids. I mean, they were injury prone and they were always pulling something or straining something. Their bodies were messed up. Now, I certainly doubt that these guys are on steroids now, but there is something causing a rash of injuries, like you said, of the soft tissue variety. Are, are some of these injuries ones that maybe would have, they would have just played through them uh, in previous right. years? I'm not saying that it, that's the case, but it you know, crosses my mind. Yeah, it might be a case where, you know, where we talk about the lack of bench, you know, where guys will get days off here and there, and they were yep. over, overstressing it. Could be. Could be. Agreed. Um, so, 
wanted to get your take on this because you know, as uh, as uh, as fellow broadcasters, uh, we always are are in tune to how things go. Uh, I, I found it interesting. You know, all the old Fox Sports networks were bought by Sinclair. They've been rebranded Bally Sports. Um, which, of course, when you think back and back, the old days of uh, Bally Fitness, which was considered a huge ripoff. <laughs> Good luck holding on to your money there. Um, I have found it, you know, obviously, you know, the, the broadcast teams are all still the same because they're mostly employed by the clubs or they have at least the say of who those broadcasters will be. But I have found it interesting because, one, you don't hear the familiar Fox theme music uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> constantly anymore, except now only on Big Fox. And then uh, the other thing is is the uh, the score bug, the Bally Bar, where they have combined a bottom line and a score bug. And I have found that to be rather annoying. <laughs> I think it's way too much going on. Um, has that uh, – give me your thoughts on, on, on how that, that – affects the broadcast viewing for you. Well, first, uh, I, and I agree completely about the thing on the screen. It drives me insane. Uh, so here, the Rangers and the Stars are on Valley Sports Southwest. And as we know, when Sinclair bought all the Fox affiliates, they uh, decided to not renew a lot of their, you know, uh, broadcast deals with different providers. So... I'm one of the few people in North Texas who can watch those games because I have direct TV. But if you're on Comcast or one of the other companies, you can't even see the games. Mm. And I don't know that the Valley folks or Sinclair folks, excuse me, uh, care about that because they're tied into the legalized betting. Mm. There's enough money there. That is, it is also interesting that, you know, that they, you know, Nanny rights have now, become part of a network. <laughs> yes. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah, I, that is, that is interesting. And of course, uh, I think you, of course, are out there in Texas, you know, I, I what the Astros are on uh, AT&T sports today, I believe. Yes, they are. Um, and I don't really get to see them play much, but uh, uh, Joe, what are your thoughts on the Valley sports? Cause I guess, you know, Minnesota's on the, the Minnesota version of that. It's to be Fox Sports North. I haven't watched too much lately, Jeff, because it's been too <laughs> painful. Um, but, you know, a lot of these things are just sign of the cultural evolution of the world at large. Uh, you know, like more is better. Uh, complexity is better. I, I'm, I'm still pretty old school in terms of let's keep things simple when I watch a game. I've kind of gotten, um, and I'm, I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent. but Please do. Um, but I have come across in my nostalgic twinge um, recently finding some on YouTube, some, some games from the MLBR archives. And you guys maybe are familiar with this group called um, Phenia Films from the MLB archives on YouTube, where they're showing original broadcast from various games throughout the fifties, sixties and seventies. And so, I went back and watched the 1971 uh, All-Star Game, which is maybe the greatest All-Star Game of all time. There were more future Hall of Famers in that game, I think, than any other All-Star Game that is uh, correct. today. It was, it was quite remarkable. And I remember watching that game, actually, that night. and can actually remember some of Kurt Gowdy's uh, 
play by play, especially on the Reggie Jackson mammoth home run in the in the, the fourth inning. The light tower shot, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, it, it hit the transformer off the roof. Gowdy, <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. That um, was the inspiration but, for the natural and Robert Redford's home run at the end. Is, is <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that was, and the ball was still ascending as it hit the transformer. Yep, on that roof. But the graphics were simple, and the announcers were well-prepared. And I think I've had developed a new appreciation for a lot of those old-timers uh, in light of, what, you know, of kind of the world that we're in um, today. Uh, I'll go back and listen to Tony Kubek. And the guy was very, you know, he was a Boy Scout. Yes. But he was very insightful. He was smart. He never flubbed his speech, I mean, he executed, at least from what I've seen, almost to perfection. So I have a lot of respect for the guys from that from that era. And I, I always say less is more. Yeah, they don't feel like when they, it comes to this. They don't feel like they have to fill up the air with something because there's nothing happening. <laughs> and my wife is uh, a little bit of a sports fan, not nearly what I am. You know, she's a Red Sox fan and she's from New England likes, you know, of course, likes Tom Brady. Um, although not necessarily the Bucks, but she her her complaint all along when I'm watching is like, did these guys ever shut up? Right. And when, when you find it, and when we see a game when someone's not really talking or overdoing it and kind of just letting the game come to you, she she picks up on that right away as the casual sports fan. And I think that's probably true with a lot of uh, casual fans. Yeah, that has become uh, that's becoming more and more of an epidemic. I, I like to call. There's one guy in particular I call out for that on college football, and that's Mike Golick Jr. Nowhere near as talented as his dad, but he thinks every second of airtime has to be filled with some sort of noise <laughs> coming from him. Oh my! Uh, so agreed. Uh, the other thing, and that just and I'm gonna suddenly shoot off to another sport now, and then we'll come back. Yes. So last year, the NHL replaced Pierre Maguire as their main between the benches guy. And you know why? Now that I now that I've heard him without, he never shut up. Yep. (laughs) Absolutely never shut up. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I, I, I remember watching games and it's like, God, this guy doesn't stop. You know, it's like it's like you know the poor the poor analyst up in the booth with the play by play guy isn't getting a word in at all. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is strange. Well, my other campaign, which I started on this podcast a few weeks ago, is I would like to eliminate bottom lines from game broadcasts because all the news is available at your fingertips on your yeah. phone, your yeah. tablet, whatever. Uh, you know, and especially ESPNs, I figure they're taking about 9% of the real estate of the TV screen, which can be better served. Uh, to me, I would like to see that, you know, and again, I know it's going to be the back on the lawn kind of old guy thing, but, mm-hmm. you know, the bottom line yeah. is just fine on ESPN. What is it? 28 and 58. Exactly. You know, if they popped it up once in a while, I'd be okay with that. But the fact that they just constantly have all that, crap going on uh, yeah. so that that is my that is my campaign in life now. it's unnecessary now i mean you know like, like you say we've got a wealth of information and knowledge right at our fingertips literally there we want for nothing in terms of finding information so yeah it's just it, yeah it's a distraction it's visual clutter 
So yeah. I, I'm with you on that all the way. Exactly. And you know what? On, I, I know on DirecTV, if I really need the scores or the schedule or the stats, I hit the little red button and then it comes up and I can page to what I want. It doesn't need to be on my screen continually. And what's funny is this does not only hold true in sports. Okay. You're going somewhere in your car. You want to know what the traffic is? You don't need to tune the traffic and weather together on the eights. It's on your phone. <laughs> when is it going to rain? It's going to rain at 5 p.m. It's on my phone. I don't need it on my screen, said the old man. <laughs> and look out the window. <laughs> yeah, you just you use the future track radar. And at 849 tonight, there will be a light to moderate thunderstorm passing within 2.5 miles of us here, wherever you live. Right. And it's that sophisticated. <laughs> yes. So there is something to be said for keeping it a lot more simple. So Besides baseball, you know, you guys are big football fans uh, uh, like I am. Did you guys follow your, your, your respective team's drafts? Oh, yeah. Watch, watch the NFL draft um, and uh, see how the Vikings do, you know, uh, every year. Could this be the year? Um, probably not. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think as far as the Vikings go, I think they drafted um, pretty consistent with what predictions were, offensive line. Um, defensive line picked up some speed um, for uh, maybe a third wide receiver and that kind of thing. So it went pretty much uh, as predicted. And um, so, yeah, it's fun to see what other teams are doing. Everybody's optimistic usually at, yeah. at night. We've just got the players that are going to take us to the top. <laughs> yeah. Without, yeah. yeah. Nobody's ever admitted drafting a dud on draft night. That's, <laughs> that's right. Boy, we blew it this time. <laughs> uh, uh, Jay, uh, the Steelers and, uh, you know, a running back. Yeah, go figure. The entire world gave them hell for drafting a running back in the first round because you just don't do that. Well, guess what? That's what they needed. Mm -hmm. So they drafted to their need, and Najee Harris is fantastic. So I was very happy with that. Uh, they also they needed a tight end, and they surprised everyone with the kid from Penn State in the second round. Um, but they didn't think he'd be there in the third round. And then they got their center, uh, Kendrick Green, in the third round. He will be their center, if not right off the beginning of the year. And then they went for other offensive line depth and then finally addressed the defense. The draft went well. However, they're a very thin team, and injuries could end them really fast. And then, of course, we saw the schedule release um, last night or the night before. No, last night. And the Steelers had the toughest schedule in the NFL. Uh, and that's okay. And they, they were 12-4. and four. They're going to get a first-place schedule. But it's brutal because they have, you know, the Chiefs and the Packers and the Vikings and all, the, and all these teams. And they could literally lose their last five games. Mm -hmm. um, and they usually lose all their December games anyhow. So, um I'm betting eight and nine for the Steelers this year. Yes, we got to do that math. Seventeen games now. Seventeen games now. Throws me off. Yeah. Yes, uh, and since you're in Dallas, uh, what's what's the buzz on on their draft picks? I really like the Micah Parsons pick. He looks like he will be a beast. He will be a beast. He's the best linebacker available. And you know, everyone was upset that Sertan went ahead of him because they traded to make that pick and blah blah blah. But Micah Parsons was the guy they needed, and he is a beast. 
and he is so fired up to be here. I just think they they nailed it. They absolutely nailed it. And they got some more defensive help behind that. And then they dipped into the offensive line, too. I mean, you know, for years they've had the best OL in football, but then injuries and retirements have started to pile up there. So their hope is just to be healthy on offense and to learn how to stop some people on defense. I think Micah Parsons was the key to that. Yeah, I definitely uh, like that pick a lot, uh, you know, uh, especially if, uh, you know, if Van Der Esch can stay healthy, that yep. gives them a, a couple of uh, great guys. Maybe that'll pick up Jalen Smith's game a little bit. Uh, and I do like the fact that they went heavy on defense because that's obviously was was a Swiss cheese addition that they had last year. Uh, I could have probably run through some of the uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> some of that defense there. Well, and they got a new coordinator too on defense, so yeah, that and then restocking a good combination. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, and as Joe said, it does. You know, we're at that point. You know, hope springs eternal. <laughs> hey, I was, I was actually, Jeff, thinking of you today. Uh, Mike Hughes, a former standout at UCF a yep. few years ago, traded by Minnesota today to Kansas City Ooh. for a um, sixth-round draft pick wow. next year. So Hughes is going to uh, Kansas City. He's had injury problems, that neck injury. that's really um, kept him sidelined for – quite a few games over the past two seasons. So if he's healthy, he could be uh, pretty, pretty good back, but yeah, Minnesota cuts ties with him. Yes. And unfortunately, you know, he doesn't get to return kicks to the NFL because that doesn't happen very much anymore. Right. Because <laughs> yeah, he would have been, he would have been outstanding at that particular thing. So we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and do your TV theme selections. So we will do that right after this. No Republicans, no Democrats, no team from Washington, no team with a star on the side of their head. We don't even talk about alpha and beta storms around here. And if you believe all of that, I have a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. Captain and Company in the morning, join me 9 to noon. Weekday mornings on OldSchool101.com because class is always in session around here. Virus or no virus. And that TV theme was Joe Finger's pick, the theme from Mission Impossible. And uh, Joe, give me your uh, your thoughts on that selection. Well, I loved the show as a kid watching it. It, it ran for about seven seasons on CBS, uh, debuted in 66, ran through 73. And I always liked the theme music to that. And so this week, I actually did a little research to find out well, who wrote the theme, who composed that. Uh, theme and it was a, a guy by the name of Lalo Schifrin, who was a an extraordinarily talented Argentine American classical concert pianist um, before he started writing TV theme songs, and he uh, wrote that for the show in 1966 and actually it won the Grammy that year for outstanding theme for a 
uh, a TV show. He actually won two Grammys that year for scoring the episodes on Mission Impossible that year and also coming up with the theme. And something else which was um, interesting and I found out is he, he said he would sometimes write themes by playing around with Morse code. Wow. And the Morse code for the letters M-I, Mission Impossible, but for M-I is two dashes followed by two dots, which roughly corresponds to the rhythm of the main theme. So a little bit of Morse code wow. led to the iconic um, sound of that show. And of course, we heard it in the, the Tom Cruise movies as well later, years later. But uh, yeah, and it was a great show too with um, guys like Peter Graves and uh, Greg Morris and Leonard Nimoy was on that show for a couple of seasons and Barbara Bain, uh, Martin Landau, some other, other great names. Yes. And interestingly enough, uh, you know, I've been watching a lot of Mission Impossible. My wife has been binge watching that uh, when I go to bed. The movies or the old TV? The old TV show. Really? Yes. And uh, interestingly enough, and I had not remembered, but Peter Graves was not the lead in the first season. That is correct. It is one Stephen Hill, who is more known as the gruff, grouchy district attorney from Law and Order. Ripped from the headlines. Yes, indeed. Yeah, absolutely. He was on for the first season. Yes. And, uh, and I also saw an episode recently and I was like, oh my gosh, this guy's so familiar. Who is this? And it finally dawned on me. It's Coach Ernie Pantuso from Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas Colastano is a, it, it, it was a, was a guest on that show. Well, you never know who you're going to see. Yeah, if, Jay, you were look like you were going to chime in. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, the theme for Mission Impossible got used in the movie Airplane, since Peter Graves was one of the pilots. I don't know. If oh, that's right. Under, uh, but when the plane started blowing up, the theme music kicked in. <laughs> and this guy who did the theme, by the way, did all of the themes for the Dirty Harry movies with the Clint Eastwood and also did Mannix and Starsky and Hutch to name oh, two more just a few. Shows. So this, this guy had his hand in a lot of different themes he, over he, the years. He was Mike Post before Mike Post. <laughs> <laughs> he was. <laughs> yeah, that, that, is, uh, that is highly fascinating. Now, I was going to say something else about Mission Impossible and the, and the, and the thought has, uh, has, has escaped my brain. Um, but... It self-destructed, didn't it, Jeff? <laughs> it went up in it went up in five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Happens to me daily. Trust me. <laughs> That's why I keep copious notes anytime I go on with you guys. I don't want to show my uh, now my re- lagging intellect here. And thank you for the stall because that helped me remember now. Because uh, I did not. I also did not remember that Peter Graves was James Arness's brother. That is correct. Uh, that's another uh, oddity yeah. of, of, of seven degrees of separation. Yeah, there there you go. All right, and now we're going to hear Jay's selection.
right, Jay's choice, the theme from Hawaii Five O. Jay. I still get excited when I hear the beginning of that song. Uh, when the show debuted in December of 68, no, September of 68 on CBS, and it immediately was my favorite TV show. My parents were worried because every episode of Hawaii Five-0 began with a murder. Uh, so we started with violence. Uh, I watched the show till its uh, final run in 1980. And uh, then when they rebooted it recently, you know, uh, Alex O'Loughlin and, and uh, Scott Conn are not the best actors, but the show was still entertaining and they had very good chemistry. You know, and Grace Park was in there too, and she was really good. And, you know, Duke from the original was on, on the reboot a couple of times. Mm -hmm. um, and they shortened it for the reboot, which makes me upset. But then again, TV theme songs are about 15 seconds now. Uh, but at least they kept some of the original visuals on that. But I have started on Fridays when I'm home in the afternoon on ION television, they have a Hawaii Five O marathon. Yes. And the show ended last year on CBS. And I still, if I don't even want to watch the episode, I leave it on until we get to the theme song because it still excites me. And the song was performed by the Ventures who were a surf band who did nothing but instrumental stuff. They did Walk, Don't Run in like 60 and 64, they did a remake on that. And all of their songs sounded exactly the same, but there's just nothing like Hawaii Five-0. Now, since CBS ended the run of the reboot of Hawaii Five-0, they of course have an extra production facility in Hawaii, along with their reboot of Magnum PI. So we've recently found out next year, NCIS Hawaii. Yes, I did see that. And as a NCIS connoisseur, I will yes. try it. <laughs> you know, yes. I'm, I'm glad New Orleans ended because I thought that, I thought they jumped the shark five years ago. That, agreed. Um, and, and, and of course, NCIS LA is still pretty good in my opinion. Yes. Um, and the original, as much as they've had all these changes in almost 20 years. I know. Bill packs a good punch. It's like MASH, you know, everybody leaves except one person and it's still, it shows, you know, and I, I dare you to tell me about any plot in the original NCIS, it's about the characters and the, the way they write the show, it makes you care about the characters. And that's why it's lasted this long, despite all the changes. Yeah. You know, that's a great point. I, I haven't watched much of NCIS, but uh, you, to your point, it's about the characters. To me, that's almost true for anything you watch. Yep. Uh, if, if you can invest in the characters and you don't come, you know, there, there's some shows I come from, away from thinking, I don't like any of these characters. They ought to all be locked up in handcuffs and carted off to jail. That's the only way I'm going to be happy when this series ends. But no, if you can invest in the characters, Jay, you're absolutely right. I mean, yeah. everything else pales by comparison. Yeah, and Jay, you're one of those, uh, you know, because like you, I was a fan of the original and a fan of the reboot. And, you know, and while they had their little similarities, they were two different shows. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and that's okay. And, you know, because typically – Reboots are, are kind of risky in, 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 some, in some degree, but I think they've gotten better at reimagining them. 
Yeah, and not all. I mean, I watch the Magnum PI reboot. I didn't at first, but I like the characters. I mean, and the, the guy who plays Magnum, he was the pitcher in the Dennis Quaid movie where he was the high school teacher. I can't remember the name of it right now. Um, where he gets called up and he pitches for the Rangers against the Rays. Uh, he was the kid in that movie. Wow. And now he's Thomas Magnum. <laughs> yeah. The other reboot that I watched, which ended its run one week ago, and I never watched the original, was MacGyver. Yes. I never watched the original. I don't know why. Maybe it was 80s or 90s or whatever. Uh, I just was never interested in it. But I liked this one, and it was the characters. Yeah, so I'm sad to see that one go, actually, myself. There was actually a reboot of Mission Impossible for two seasons, 88 and 89. I didn't even know that. That's how bad it must have been. It was on ABC, from what I hear. And Peter Graves was on a few of the episodes, but it never never got traction. Most most reboots don't. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, well, to me, the million-dollar question is, if you watch Hawaii Five-O and Magnum P.I., why would you ever go to Hawaii with all the crime that goes on there? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, did we see, uh, last time we were all on, uh, St. Elsewhere was one of the themes? Yes. yes. Norman Lloyd passed away this week. Ah, uh, yeah. He was 106? 106. Oh, oh, wow. He started his career with, uh, you know, he, he, he opted out of Citizen Kane. That's, that's how long <laughs> he's been around. Wow. Okay. And then he hooked up, uh, hooked up with Alfred Hitchcock and worked in a bunch of his movies. And that, that's that long ago. He yeah. just passed away. Yeah. And, you, and, and, you think and about, he was pretty alert up until the end, from what yes. I hear, too. Yeah. And you think about how old he was just doing St. Elsewhere. He must right have been now. about almost 70 at that time. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, pretty incredible stuff. Well, as always, you guys uh, uh, bring it both in baseball and TV themes. So appreciate those contributions. Uh, Jay and Joe. Thanks so much again for being on. As always, greatly appreciated. Always great, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Joe. Good to talk to you. Likewise. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.